Take it from here, Marie. <laughs> Should we just start over? <laughs> Hello, non-existent audience. Uh, I am Lucille Mills. And I am Marie Renee. And you're listening to the very first demo, kind of, sort of, but not really, an episode of Same Here, Man. Same Here, Man. It's a podcast about, about what, Marie? It is a show where we are going to dive into our experiences from childhood and talk about how they affect us in adulthood. And hopefully... In ways that are relatable, ways that make you say, same here, man. That tracks. That makes sense. We have a lot of different themes that we want to touch on, and Marie and I have been talking about a lot of these commonalities over the years, despite not having very similar upbringings, and a lot of our conversations seem to come back to, wow, that really reminds me of something in my childhood, Mm -hmm. and we think that there might be something more to that. Childhood seems to be really underrated as a topic of conversation in American society writ large. So Totally. I guess we're going to kind of outline some of our goals for the show. This is like the New Year's resolution of podcast episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so what inspired you to want to do this show? Um, the same as every other millennial being, I really want to start a podcast. <laughs> uh, those feelings for a while, I guess. Don't. Don't, doesn't everybody like the sound of their own voice? That's a. I think. I think that's not like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the sound of my own voice, but I really like talking. Oops. Oops. <laughs> so I guess that's the why a podcast instead of the why any other medium. Yeah. Why did we want to do a podcast about this? A lot of my adult behaviors, both good and bad, can be traced back to my childhood in some way, whether it was a behavior that was modeled to me by my parents or other authority figures like teachers, or if it was something that I just developed by the environment that I was raised in. By growing up in like the time of moral panics, is that what you're talking about? (laughs) Yes, the 2000s were a wacky time. Wild, man, the 90s. I mean, every decade has its own wild time. But yeah, I think a lot of of our common experiences are going to trace back to childhood. It's one of the Mm -hmm. only things that we all sort of have in common. And despite that, it is such a unique and personal experience. So it's going to be kind of hard to talk about. I guess a podcast is a good format for it. I was also going to say, Lou and I have found it very therapeutic to talk about our childhoods with each other because... In in healthy ways. (laughs) Yes, in healthy ways. (laughs) Don't trauma dump on your friends. Yeah. But it is important to talk about, I think, why it's therapeutic. And that goes back to, I think, the fact that everybody can connect to it in some way, even if it's not identical to your experience, you can, for the most part, remember what it was like to be a kid, whether it was good or bad, and usually both. Yeah, and we yeah, we talked yesterday about how when you're a kid, time feels really, really slow. Like a mm-hmm. year feels like a really long time. But as you get older, time seems to like, or your perception of time speeds up exponentially. So now that I'm an adult, a year really doesn't feel that long. But when I was a kid, it felt like, I mean, when you're four, one year is 
25% of the life that you've lived. And so that math tracks. (laughs) Yeah. A year can be very, very significant to a child. And we don't give that enough credit. No, I don't think we do. And it's weird because the linear time that the child is experiencing is still happening at the same time that an adult is experiencing time. And I think because of that comparison that's happening, you know, one one human experiencing a quarter of their life pass by versus another human being like, oop, blip, 2021's over. Those two things probably come into conflict a lot. And that's just one of many, many examples where I can think of an adult, probably without thinking about it, diminishing a child's experience and undermining it in some way. Um, and I don't think that I don't think any parent, you know, wants to do that to their child, but I do think right. it's a very natural and easy habit to fall into. And it probably has a bigger impact on children than we admit. Totally. And I, I that actually reminds me of a TikTok I saw recently oh, no. where <laughs> it was like, I forget exactly what it was. It was like when your dad doesn't remember your childhood trauma because to him it was a Wednesday. Oh, no. That's so true. It's like something can happen in your childhood that's very traumatic to you as a child, but to your parent, they're just like, you know, oh, Joey bonked his head again. Oh, absolutely. And that is so true because, honestly, there are some things I can that I will never forget, and I wouldn't call them necessarily traumatic, but, you know, everything as a child forms your sense of self. And um, I won't nerd out too much here. Um, I only minored in psychology and anybody who's gone to a university knows that minoring doesn't super mean a lot, (laughs) but it is a topic I'm very interested in. We are not professionals by any means. We have tidbits of experience and a lot of personal experience. (laughs) Wait a second. You mean to tell me that watching a bunch of psychology videos on YouTube doesn't mean I'm an expert? Well, Marie... I have some some news. No. (laughs) No. But uh, listening to this podcast will definitely, no, I'm just kidding. Um, You also won't get any professional experience out of listening to this podcast. Yeah, just lots of feelings. Feel better. (laughs) Worse. And then better, because sometimes you have to feel worse before you can feel better. So true. It's like when you're nauseous and you throw up and then you feel better. So let's talk about some of the topics and themes that we want to discuss on the show. Totally. Hopefully a lot of them because childhood encompasses everything. (laughs) Kids exist in the real world, whether or not we want to admit it. And we're definitely going to be going through a barrage of topics. The first one that I think I want to talk about and the one that I'm probably going to use as a lens through which I can introduce my own story in a little bit of a way for all of you who have no idea who I am (laughs) will be the word parentification. Uh, Have you heard of that concept, Marie? I have heard the word, but I'm not super familiar with the term. Cool. Um, Well, hopefully that's where everybody's at coming into this. That would be great because it would mean I have a corner on a market somewhere. But it's a word that has really helped me put a lot of my experiences into a framework that just helps me make more sense of what my particular childhood was like. And it's actually Mm -hmm. a really common phenomenon. Um, I guess I could tease it out a little bit and maybe maybe tell you guys what it means. (laughs) Give me a little teaser. Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, Yes, an audio teaser. So parentification, to try and be succinct about it, is a phenomenon which can come about through 
any number of circumstances which end up putting a child in a position of more responsibility than they should have for the age that they are at. Hmm. And it often, based on the word, you can probably figure out a little bit of what it might feel like for a child, but it's it's often being placed in the role of a, a caretaker or where you have to provide um, help or assistance for your siblings or for your parent. And it can, there are a lot of different ways that it can look. A really common example is in immigrant households, children have to often interpret documents and important meetings and oh. stuff for their parents. So that is a form of parentification. There are a lot of other facets to it, but it has a huge impact on a child's development. Um, A lot of times those kids are, quote unquote, flattered as like, oh, you're so mature for your age. And it's like, yeah, because they're being forced to be an adult instead of being able to, you know, develop as a child. And so it has a very long lasting effect on children, sometimes helpful, sometimes adverse. And we can kind of look at a lot of the different scenarios, but it also affects the whole family system because they become interdependent on each other in ways that don't always turn out very well. Yeah. How about you, Marie? What topic are you going to use to introduce your childhood? The topic I'm really interested in kind of unpacking from my childhood is the way that my parents' relationship with food and their weight and dieting affected me and the way that even as an adult, it bleeds into my mindset and the way that I think about food. Like literally earlier today, I was putting some butter on a piece of toast and I could hear my mom's voice saying, you're putting too much butter on your toast. Like oh, it was constantly so things. Yeah, it was constantly things like that. My parents would make little comments about weight and what I was eating. Like, oh, are you sure you want to eat that? Or I mean, they'd be doing their newest fad diet and they'd ask me if I want to join. And when I would say no, they they would say things like, well, if you if you were really at rock bottom with your weight, you would be willing to do anything to lose. Oh, mama mia. Mama oh. mia. Here we go again. So sad. <laughs> my, my. <laughs> Launch into full musical theater. Uh, but I'm screaming the words. <laughs> Because that's how we express our rage. Um, I am, no, like, serious face. I am so sorry. That is so sad. We're not even, like, like I'm going to cry when we listen to your story. We're not even there yet. But uh, anybody who's listening, and including you, a big hug from me because kids need to eat food, man. Yeah. Food is delicious. And important. Yeah. It's kind of important for growing and stuff. But I wonder how much of that has to do with... Your parents' childhood around food. Exactly. Right? That's another topic that I think is going, that's a theme that's probably going to pop up a lot Mm -hmm. in the show is we are both very deeply invested in paying attention to intergenerational context. The idea that these trends don't just happen in a vacuum. Nothing ever happens just one thing at a time ever. That's not how life works. It's not realistic. There's a chance that the habits and the, and the, tricks that you have to survive were passed on from other family members and other family systems that you weren't even a part of. And I think that that's going to pop up a lot as we go on because we are products of our environment for good or for worse. Yeah. And it's funny how you realize when when you start like really unpacking these things in your childhood, you can really start tracing it back to 
things that don't matter anymore. And then as soon as you start kind of like poking at it and and asking questions about like, where did this family um, behavior come from? It, you start to realize that a lot of the generational habits we pass down don't really make sense, but we just do it because it's, it's what we were raised with and it's what is normal to us. hundred percent. What are some of the other little teaser trailer uh, topics that we, we've been keeping a running list, honestly. <laughs> so we, we have, have a lot of material to get through for all of you. Some of them funny, some of them heavy, some of them in between. Oops, it's because childhood is like that. <laughs> Oops. What are some of your favorite ones that you're looking forward to? I am really interested in talking about how f- your family and your upbringing determines your political involvement later in life. Mm. It seems like a lot of young adults have kind of this moment in their life where they either choose to pick the same side as their parents or they choose to rebel against their parents and pick the other side. Yeah, especially, I mean, if you can't tell by now, we're recording in America and we have grown up in America. (laughs) We are both uh, very, I don't know, privileged in many ways because this country rewards a lot of our perceived identities. And with all of that comes the territory of living in a pretty much entirely made up two-party system where like, yeah, you pick one or you pick the other. And if you pick something else, you're just kind of, you're, you're doing the game wrong. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it totally is like a, like a pick our side or you're not one of us. <laughs> totally. It honestly makes me, it honestly reminds me of like watching the Super Bowl as a kid and I didn't really give a fuck about the Super Bowl, but I'd just be like, dad, what side are you rooting for? <laughs> and he's like, we're rooting for the Steelers. And I'd be like, yeah, go Steelers. Even though I don't, I don't care who wins the I Super Bowl. I pick this side because I want you to love me. <laughs> I because I want your approval. Oh no. Uh, that still hits hard. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. My my dad didn't like sports, but there are other things, you know, even if I can't relate to the exact sports metaphor, there are still a ton of other ways where I'm like, oh, yeah, wanting your father's approval. Still a universal theme. Interesting. (laughs) People choose their careers based on what their parents want for them and and for their life. People will choose what college to go to based Mm -hmm. on what college Mm -hmm. their parents went to. They'll choose their family structure, like when to get married and if you're having children or where you're going to live. It can be really hard to push back against if you have family with really strong opinions. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about different types of family systems because those theories are really helpful for understanding kind of like how all this happens. (laughs) But unlike being, I don't know, like if you want to know a lot about childhood development and family systems and family therapy and blah, 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 like you'll take a college class. That's not what we're going to (laughs) do. We're going to put it in the context of our actual lives and hopefully make it a little bit more interactive and interesting. A topic that I'm super looking forward to and that might take a lot of emotional effort for me is going to be talking about money. I know you have a lot of money stories, too, because we came from two very different backgrounds as far as what money was like growing up. And money in American culture dictates a lot. And historically, if you look through different decades and the decades that our parents grew up in, the amount of scarcity that existed or how well the economy was doing has a lot to do with how children end up being treated. So there's a lot to dig into there and we have personal anecdotes to go along with it. So (laughs) that's going to be a topic really 
near and dear to me. It still affects me now. It affects how I look at my debt. It affects how I look at my income. It's very tied to, like, ego in a lot of ways, and mm. it can be really hard to deal with. And we honestly, we don't talk about it very much because there's a lot of shame around money talk. Yeah. And it'll be cool to air it all out, I guess, <laughs> and yeah. maybe get some, maybe hear some other people's stories, too. Yeah. If, on any of these topics that we're talking about, if if anyone in this non-existent audience would like to submit a, a story to us, um, Lou, tell them our Gmail because it's leaving <laughs> my brain right now. I got you. I got you. <laughs> if you want to type out your long form stories or if you are, you know, super extra above and beyond in your class, uh, you know who you are. Uh, you can record a voice memo and send it to us. You can always submit your stories and questions and just say hello at same here man pod. That is the name of our podcast and pod because we are a podcast at gmail.com. Yay. What are some of the topics that we want to hear from people on? Yeah, so I'm interested in talking about alcohol, how it affects a family structure. There's families who the parents drink regularly. There's families who don't drink at all, and alcohol is not a part of the family culture at all. And I also want to talk about that moment in everyone's adolescence when they try alcohol for the first time and Mm. get drunk for the first time even. Story time. Story time. So if you have any fun getting drunk for the first time stories. Or not fun getting drunk for the first time stories. Because it's pretty formative either way. You probably remember it. Well, at least some of it. That's true. You know, but. (laughs) Maybe you don't remember it. (laughs) Maybe you don't. But we would love to kind of uh, get the depth and breadth of what that was like for all of you. Other weird, heavy topics is navigating becoming a sexual creature as you age and turn into an adult. It's a really weird topic for parents to touch, and it has changed a lot over, you know, the decades, even even just over the years. I feel like yeah. uh, people 10 years younger than us have learned about sex in a very different way than we did or than our parents did, certainly much more differently than our grandparents did. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's so much to dig into there as far as how we view ourselves. The concept of safe sex is relatively new and has, obviously, there's a huge social impact on it. But the way that children interact with sex has always been very taboo. And yet it's a very important part of becoming a full human. So that would be, that warrants discussion. Uh, We might not be totally ready for it. We might have to bring in a couple of experts to talk on that just because there are so many caveats and we want to be really respectful of the topic and how heavy it can be for some people but that's an important one i'm going to read off a couple of the other topics that we have in our queue Uh, we want to touch on staying home alone for the first time or just staying home alone in childhood in general Hmm. we want to talk about the concept of blaming and how blame comes into a family structure Mm, Like blame versus responsibility is a big one. Mm -hmm. And the way that children learn responsibility, scapegoating, blaming, all interrelated is really, insert big word here. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many implications to how you end up interacting with authority or how you handle having a lot of power in a situation as an adult. Mm -hmm. It'll be cool. Yeah, and and not even... To say that, like, blaming is 
bad in all circumstances because sometimes it's important to know whose responsibility something was and to take responsibility. Like I, yeah. I that that kind of segues me into like a, another topic of like parents who make excuses for each other to the kids. So hmm. uh, one parent's behavior may have been genuinely unacceptable. And instead of the other parent looking at them and saying, hey, man, that wasn't cool. Probably shouldn't treat our kids that way. They they say, oh, your dad's really stressed or oh, your mm-hmm. mom had a hard day at work. Give, give him a, like, don't give him a hard time, you know? Yeah, or, the way that we learn forgiveness uh, is very heavily dependent on what kind of a family system you're in and how, how much the family system is valued over the individual's experience. And that's mm-hmm. a really, like, glossed over way to say that topic <laughs> because there's so many more unique and uh, such a wide variety of experiences within that topic. And blame is a really interesting word to come out of it because blame carries a negative connotation of it. it like, it carries yeah. a judgment. Blame is not the same as assigning responsibility. Yeah. It is... It, like, I, I associate that word with scapegoating, and kids learn that skill from a very early age. Anyone who's ever had siblings knows um, <laughs> that you learn how to blame very quickly. And I wonder, yeah. I, like, if I was to pay attention to just that trait, would you see it more taken advantage of by adults who had siblings growing up? I don't know. It'd be really interesting to dig into. Another very large topic that will probably come up a lot um, is the concept of a religion. And full, like, full transparency here, when we say religion, we are probably only going to be talking about Christian, American, that hybrid experience, um, because that is what we have both interacted with as children and, unfortunately, as adults. <laughs> we both have very different takes on it, which will hopefully be interesting when we get there and— uh, I think that with religion, even people who have come from different religious backgrounds can will still have relatable elements in their childhood from just growing up in a religious household. A lot of religions have overlap in their beliefs and mm-hmm. are basically just different ways of saying the same thing. Yeah, uh, there's a sense of like order and structure and there it's a negative word, but control. That comes mm-hmm. with being a part of a church and being a part of a family structure already has those three principles. But then I think being a part of a family that is a part of a church kind of takes that up a couple of notches. And obviously that has a lot to do with how a child grows up and how they perceive society and, and groups of people. Um, it obviously has a huge impact on morality. Yeah. And interestingly, too, I mean, because religion so heavily dictates your worldview, like all the topics we've already mentioned, my opinion and my upbringing, like in relation to those areas are dictated by the religious upbringing I had. I don't know if that made sense, but. It did. Um, It's not like, like, like you're not fully abdicating responsibility for how you view the world, but it's definitely, that is the, the, canvas from which you start and maybe you learn how to apply paint in a much better way later or in ways that make more sense to you but that's still your base and it's still going to have a huge impact and you didn't necessarily get to pick it so there's a a lot of um, thoughts of agency that I think are going to come up when we get into some of those bigger topics where like this is a huge foundation of 
the person you become and you didn't necessarily have a say in it. What does that mean for us now? Yeah, I think that's going to be a really important theme for this show is like that kind of moment of questioning in your adolescence of, do I believe this because I chose this or do I believe this because of the family I just so happen to be born into? Totally. There's definitely a huge trend of, and maybe it's just because we have the internet and we can see what people are going through more so than years past, but millennials, Zoomers, whatever's coming after that, all growing up and kind of saying, what the hell am I doing here? (laughs) Um, What is the point? What is all of this for? And there's this huge, um, I don't want to call it an identity crisis, but it's like a generational identity crisis. Hmm. And there's always backlash against the old ways. Um, Our parents did that against their parents, and they probably did it against their parents. And the backlash just takes different forms and, you know, inspires the next moral panic because that's how we know society operates. But it's it's still a collective experience and rebelling and pushing back and thinking, is this is this actually me or was I just taught this when I was really young and didn't have a choice in what I was exposed to? That's a huge question. And it, it deserves a bigger spotlight. And it certainly takes up a lot of our brain space for free. And so this podcast, I guess, is just going to be a really good forum through which we can word vomit all of those thoughts. As the uh, as the youngins say, it lives rent-free in my mind. Some, like, lighter topics that I think we want to go into. I think the Tooth Fairy is fascinating. Totally. <laughs> I want to have a little story time around, like, where the hell did we come up with this idea? <laughs> oh, you just lost, like, a part of your body? Trade it in for capital. <laughs> 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 and the, the fact that the parents are in on it, is it supposed to be seen as a good thing? It's just, it's a very—there's so many layers to it, and I really want to—like, it's a rich text. I want to read into that. <laughs> also— I don't know about you, but I I never thought that the Tooth Fairy was real. I always knew oh, it was no, my mom. No way. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're like, why would a fairy have money? <laughs> like, that's a stupid fairy. You know, like, they want teeth instead of money? How do they pay that's, rent? That's where it becomes unreal for you, is that the— <laughs> Is that, like is this fairy really paying for groceries with teeth? I don't buy Whoa. it. <laughs> I was very pragmatic as a child. <laughs> That's my lighthearted one. But yeah. So Marie, what are some of your hopes for the show? Why is it important? What do you want to get out of this? My goal for the show is just to I want to make people think about things that they maybe hadn't thought about or validate people in areas that they've never been validated in. Maybe you've had experiences in your childhood that are similar to ours and you can relate to what we're saying and it might make you feel like, hey, I'm not alone. Other people went through this, you know, and I think a lot of our childhood experiences are very universal, but there's also a lot of them that are very unique. And so I'm just interested in exploring that, unpacking that a little bit, and hopefully just giving people a space to have like solidarity in, in this one universal thing that is childhood. Hmm. I kind of have, I guess, the the other side of the coin from what you just said, the idea that, oh, uh, I thought that was just me. I tend to think of approaching the topic of childhood as the things that you thought everybody went through, 
we're actually not normal. <laughs> like mm. sometimes your experiences, uh, like, you know, as a child, whatever you're exposed to is all you're exposed to. You know, you think that your mom's name is really mom and then you learn it's not and your whole world is shattered. <laughs> um, and so I kind of have, I guess, the the inverse take, which is why we're a good team. Do, do you want to do a podcast together? We should do a podcast oh, together. We should totally <laughs> do a podcast together. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to think that it's a really formative moment when a child realizes that their experiences are not everyone's experiences. Mm. That's a huge mark of maturity in child development. And I don't know. Well, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah. But I think well, it's really cool. Um, and I think that the those two concepts will still intersect in a lot of ways. The idea of like the universal child experience and the the child's experience of learning that their experience is not universal. <laughs> like, right. It's a really weird roundabout way to say it. But those two things overlap. And the place where they overlap is called childhood. And right. it deserves its own podcast. And one thing that every adult human can relate to is that they have at one point in their life been a kid. Yeah. And even if those childhoods looked really different from each other. I mean, both of us grew up with a lot of privilege in our lives and I don't want to, you know, take that away by maybe talking about some of the more negative aspects of our childhoods, but some people are raised with a lot of privilege. Some people aren't. And well, it's never just like one thing. And I think we're, I'm right. that's <laughs> the way that I view life. It's never just one thing. Everyone has some form of privilege and they overlap in very different ways. And this mm. isn't a podcast where we have to explain how different types of privilege affect different people because you know your life and you know the barriers that you've had to overcome as a person, um, whether or not they are few or, or many. And overcoming the struggle that is childhood is its own barrier. I tend to think that to be a child is to be a part of a minority, not necessarily in numbers, but in terms of how you are treated, children are not treated as human in a lot of cases. Uh, obviously, it's very different than it was 10, 50, 100, 200 years ago. But the way that children are viewed, it, children definitely don't have as much privilege as adults in many situations. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that the experience of being less than adult is universal. And then all mm -hmm. of the other privileges that each person has and will carry with them for probably the rest of their life, different things like ability can change very easily. Those are all layered on top of being a child. And that baseline is something that we can all remember and hopefully will make for really compelling stories that will tie not just us together, but also the non-existent listener. Yeah. I hear that you prepared us a game for our trailer. I did. I'm really oh, no. excited. And okay. uh, I have no idea what Marie's done. So, <laughs> uh, so listen, if you don't hear from me in 10 minutes, send help. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier um, one of the reasons that I think we'll be a good pod team is that we we have kind of like different viewpoints of like you were mentioning. We were talking earlier about how um, – there's some experiences in childhood that we can we relate to each other on and some that we're very different from each other on and where you're like, hey, that's not normal. 
Um, so I wanted <laughs> the to play. The opposite of same here, man. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of same here, man. So I wanted to play a little game where I say a statement about my childhood and you say whether it's a same here, man, or I can't relate. Oh, oh boy. I wish I would have prepared some. Okay, go for it. Okay. So my dad was the punisher in the household and my mom was the pushover. Same here, man. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. I feel like a lot of people, that's the same here, man. Yeah, in heteronormative nuclear families. Exactly. Um, which is definitely not the norm, but it is the norm for me. That is somewhere, something that we relate on. Mm-hmm. Next one. Farts were considered very comical in my household. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a weird one for me to answer. Uh <laughs> Same here, man, for my family, I always cringed. I, like, could not stand bodily functions. I had a lot of shame around bodies. Yeah. Well, we will definitely dig into that later. Yeah. Shame is a thing. Body shame is a thing, man. Totally. (laughs) It was funny when the boys did it. It was not funny when girls did it, Mm. I think think was the distinction there. That's interesting. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. reason I wrote that one down is because I, like— in my household, it was considered very funny. Like, it was, like, peak comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Which, the very refined cat's household. Which is, <laughs> which is so dumb. But I, I've as I've grown up, I've realized, like, in, in some, like, of my friends' households, it was funny. And in some of my friends' households, it was, like, you do not fart. It no, is like, super you excuse yourself from the table, you go to the bathroom, and you do yeah. your business. <laughs> yeah. So I was just curious. Um, okay, next one. I often felt like my parents' marriage counselor. <laughs> Same here, man. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, a lot of people relate to that one, which is really sad. Don't do that to your kids. Uh, yeah, no, not if you can help it. Get yeah. some resources. Yeah. Next one. Sibling arguments were common in my household. Same here, man. I was the one to break them up. Really? Yeah, parentification, baby. We'll oh, get there. <laughs> makes sense, makes sense. Um, my family fast-forwarded the TV during sex scenes or any scenes that were remotely <laughs> sexual in nature. Same but violent here? scenes were okay. Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was like a, that whole, my dad's whole side of the family did that. Yep. Like even and his it was, siblings. I even remember, I remember my parents explaining like if a movie was rated R for violence, that was totally fine. But if it was rated <laughs> R for sex, then that was not fine. Oh no. Like somehow seeing like someone get decapitated is like less traumatic than like seeing a husband and wife like bounce around under some blankets. I don't know. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's amazing. (laughs) Parents, why do they? (laughs) Uh. Next one. I was not allowed to watch SpongeBob as a kid. Ooh, that's sad. That is the epitome of humor for our and subsequent generations. So can't Mm. relate, man. My dad did hate it at first, but then I watched it and made him watch it, and he was like, okay, that's actually kind of funny. (laughs) That's that's really funny. My 
I think the real reason I wasn't allowed to watch SpongeBob was because it annoyed my parents, but they said it was because SpongeBob and Patrick were gay. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would just make the show even better. Right. <laughs> oh, what a bummer. It was because it was literally that one episode where they, like, find a little shell and they want to take care oh, of yeah. it together, which is totally goofy and, like. It was adorable. It was adorable. But, but it was, like, it was like adopting a pet. Right. Yeah. I, I, don't, know. I don't know. I just remember Whatever. that being, like, a little mini, like, Christian panic. Like, I remember people talking about that specific episode of SpongeBob. I was allowed to stay home alone starting when I was 10. I don't remember when I stayed home alone. Hmm. We, yeah, can't, can't explain. (laughs) Don't recall. Does not compute. Syntax error. Right. Both of my parents were disabled slash are disabled for most of my childhood. So very rarely would there be a situation where they would both leave at the same time. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Can't can't remember if that ever even had to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I was not allowed to have a boyfriend until age 16. Ooh, same here, man, but I broke it anyway. <laughs> totally. I mean, I don't know if, like, this is what you did, but I went to, like, a private Christian school, and with the kids yep. at my it was, like, very common for kids to, like, not be allowed to date. And so what we did was we just renamed girlfriend and boyfriend to special friends. Oh, no. You know oh. special friends You know, special friend means something outside of Christian school, right? I genuinely don't. Please educate me. I'm so excited. What? You, y'all. At okay, Christian school, uh, it just means it means your boyfriend who you can't call your boyfriend because you're not allowed to have a boyfriend. That's really sad. That's also hilarious because, like, your parents calling somebody your special friend usually meant that they were your gay partner. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like the same connotations. You can't can't call him your boyfriend. You call him your special friend. Oh, yeah. Except at Christian school, we do it in straight relationships, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's like even... Even straight romance is bad in the eyes of Jesus. Totally. Hmm. Um, Very strange. It's like, y'all know how young Mary was, right? Anyway, moving on. (laughs) We don't talk about that. It's fine. Also, like, Jesus Jesus totally wore a dress, so. Oh, yeah. And sandals. Uh, Hmm. Last one. My parents participated in many fad diets and encouraged me to do the same. Oh, I can't relate. Well, that's good. I'm yeah, glad you can't relate. Is. Same. There are, are a lot of other food boundaries that uh, still that suck and still affect me as an adult, but thankfully, my parents were not hip enough to be on every fad diet bandwagon. Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm sorry that your parents were hip. Hip, hip in the to worst the fad. ways. Yeah. Yikes. Well, I will need to come up with some of those for our next episode because that was fun. Yeah, I was thinking that could be like a little thing we do. I love that. That's a great yeah. idea. Also, send in your same here man questions. Uh, that was that was super fun. I would love to know if uh, some of these experiences are maybe less unique than we think they are. True, because I when I was writing those, I thought like 
to be honest, I wrote those intentionally so that like about half of them would be a same here, man, and half of them would be a can't relate. But you actually related to most of those. Yeah. Really interesting. <laughs> so, or I would, or I can at least like understand them. Like they yeah. don't seem totally foreign to me. Yeah. To be fair, we are not incredibly different people. That is um, true. Like if we were both in a lineup, we could easily probably get confused because we're both white women. Um, <laughs> we're both white women with glasses and brown hair. We're basically the same. Oh, shit. You're right. Okay. All right. Well, we don't have a cool outro for you guys yet, but we will work on it. And until then, I can't wait to hear more of your stories and to share some of ours. And Maria, I can't wait to hear some of your stories because I'm sure there's a lot I haven't heard yet. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear yours, too. It's uh, I'll bring the tissues. Um, <laughs> not all of childhood is great, but I hope that through this forum we can both, like, Talk about ways to work through it and to implement a lot of our childhood experiences that we didn't have a choice in, in ways that make us better and more whole adults. And that is my wish for all of you and for this podcast. And we'll get there next time. I love that. Mm. <laughs> Until next right. time. Until next time.